Hey guys, my name is Chip, and I'm really glad that you're here with us today. We are winding down a series that I have absolutely loved. I'm kind of sad to see it over. Uh, we've called the series Called to More, and we've really got some great feedback off of it. I've absolutely loved hearing the stories of so many of you guys beginning to see how God is calling you to a greater purpose, how God is calling you to more through your work, whatever that work is, whether it's your job, your role in the home, at school, uh, hobbies that you have, whatever, you're starting to see that God's got something more in that for you. And uh, like I said, we're winding the series down today. So if you've missed any of it, I highly encourage you go back on the website, watch on demand, see the first two weeks, because what we've talked about up to this point is we started with what our work was supposed to be, what happened to it, and what our work can be now. And then we talked about why our work matters and ultimately who we're working for. Today, though, we're going to focus even more, and we're going to kind of nail down by wrapping up the idea, uh, asking the question, how do we work like this? If we believe God's calling us to something more, if we believe that there's a greater purpose in our work, if we believe, as we've said all series long, that God is calling us to join him in his work of redeeming and reconciling this world to himself, then how do we do this? What does that look like? And I think it's an important thing to say right up front that with obvious exceptions, where you work and the type of work you do don't have a lot to do with that. Now, again, with obvious exceptions is a critical part of that. We're not saying that you should be selling crack for Jesus, but with obvious exceptions, whether you're a plumber, a mechanic, a school teacher, a pastor, or a college student, where you work, the type of work that you do, those things aren't what make you distinct as a follower of Jesus. And honestly, they have very little to do with how you join him in his work of redeeming and reconciling the world. I know that's not normally how we think about those things. Maybe that thought in itself is kind of confusing you, throwing you for a loop this morning. But think about it this, this way. There's not jobs that you can have where you work with God and jobs that you have that you can't work with God. As long as you are, for the most part, in a wholesome job or career, you can join with God in his work in the world. I love the way Pastor Adrian Rogers says this. Pastor Adrian Rogers was a pastor in Tennessee for many years. He's since passed away, but I loved listening to him uh, when I was beginning in ministry. And this is what Pastor Adrian Rogers says. He says, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then not only is your entire life ordered, but so is every single step within your life. God has a plan for the plumber as well as the preacher, for the mechanic as well as the missionary. And if, for instance, God calls you to be a mechanic and you become a missionary, you are accepting second best. To find God's will is the highest achievement in your life. Success is not spelled M-O-N-E-Y, nor is it spelled F-A-M-E. Success is the continuous realization of the will of God, what God desires for your life. God does not make clones. God makes children. There is an ultimate purpose for your life as his child, and that is to be like Jesus. That is a fantastic quote. And if you get nothing else for your time joining us this morning, then maybe you can get that. 
that if God has called you to be a mechanic, you would have to take a step backwards to go be a missionary. There is no secular and there is no spiritual. This whole world and all of creation is God. So no matter where you work or what kind of work you do, you can join with God in his work. Why? Because it's not where we work, but how we work that makes the difference. It's not the type of job you have, but it's how you approach that job. It's how you do that work that can make you distinct as a follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself spends time teaching us just how we can and really how we should be distinct as his followers in the world, no matter what kind of work you do. So if you got your Bibles this morning, uh, maybe uh, you're looking on your phone and watching on your computer, maybe you have a hard copy, whatever, I'd invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is right uh, in the heart of one of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's really laying out kingdom principles for kingdom living. And in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he begins talking to his disciples, their role in the world, and how they, as his followers, should be distinct in the world. And this is what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven." I love this passage. I have a special relationship to this passage. One of my favorite baseball players growing up was a guy named Sid Bream, first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. Now, Sid was not necessarily the best first baseman in the league, but he was my favorite first baseman. He was my favorite player. And I I watched him play. He worked hard. He hustled. He grinded out at bats. He's the kind of guy I wanted to be as a player. And then imagine my surprise as a child when I find out that he, too, is a follower of Jesus. And uh, so I remember as a child, me and my dad sitting down when I found out my favorite player is also a Christian, and we wrote him a letter telling him how much that meant to me to see him on the field. Well, Sid sent back an autograph poster, and on that autograph underneath it, he signed Matthew 5, verse 16. And that's what we just read. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, I believe that Sid understood that as a baseball player, It was not his work that made him distinct as a Christian, but how he went about his work made him distinct as a Christian, and it set him apart, and it made him example for me as a young child. See, in this very familiar passage, Jesus uses these two very familiar illustrations to help his disciples grasp what it looks like for them to live and to work distinctly for the world. He says this, right? We are salt and we are light. Not necessarily that we are salty and lit, but that we are salt and we are light. And so we're going to spend some time this morning talking about the significance of those and what exactly Jesus meant by saying, you're the salt, you're the light. But let's start by affirming what we talked about last week, and I think we see it again here. Here's what I'm saying. For salt and light to be effective, they both have to be distinct from and fully integrated in whatever they're trying to affect. 
So last week we talked about that we are not trying to get out of the world and isolate from the world and run away from the world, but we are trying to affect the world, to change the world, to transform the world as we work for the good of our community and the good of others. That's the same for salt and light. Salt and light have to be different from what they're trying to affect, but they can't affect that change while being isolated and absent. They have to be fully integrated into it. So I think that's a good reminder for us from last week. But let's jump in. What what about salt makes Jesus say you are the salt of the earth, talking to his followers? Well, in the ancient world, salt was used much like it is today as a flavor enhancer, but probably more importantly, back in Jesus's day, it was used as a natural preservative. Just think about it. There was no electricity, and without electricity, there were no refrigerators and deep freezers. You couldn't go grab a frozen pizza and throw it in the oven for food. But in order to preserve food, people in Jesus' day would use salt. They would cover it in salt to preserve their food and preserve many of their other ingredients. And as salt, what Jesus is saying is that followers of Jesus should also function as a preservative and as enhancers of our culture and our community. What what do we mean by that? Let Let me see if I can get a little bit specific and help us understand. You see, as salt, we preserve the culture and community that we live in. We work against decay, against ruin, against corruption. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this, that this world's just going downhill, it's going off the rails, it's falling apart? Well, Jesus says to his followers, you're salt. You're supposed to slow that down. You're supposed to preserve the world and the good that's in it. When Jesus likens us to salt, he's implicitly saying that apart from his disciples, the world is going to turn ever more rotten. And Christians, his followers, have the effect of delaying that moral and spiritual putrefaction. Now, I think it's an important thing to stop here because you may be jumping up and down on your couch saying, yes and amen, I don't know. But I think we need to draw a distinction here and say that what Jesus is calling us to preserve is not the good old days. It's not the remember when. It's not to preserve what granny had when she grew up. What Jesus is calling us to fight to preserve are the remnants and the echoes of the created good left in this creation. What are those? We are to fight to preserve beauty, freedom, truth, purity, goodness, fairness, and so on. We are to fight to preserve those good things that God has given us in creation that the spiritual and moral decay of mankind continually wears away. That's how we are to be preservatives in this world. But also as salt, we don't just preserve, but we enhance. We enhance our culture and community. What that means is that we work to bring about the fullness and usefulness of God's good creation design. And if you were with us on week one, maybe this is ringing some bells because all the way back in week one, we talked about this, that part of God's original design for work and part of the purpose for our work today is to cultivate the creation that God has entrusted to us. So in your job, whatever that job is, there's a purpose for you to cultivate creation, to bring a fullness to it, to enhance it, to make it useful. 
That's a lot. We could spend a lot of time unpacking it, but maybe it helps just to say simply today that our work should make our community and the life of our neighbors better. That's why we enhance it. We enhance our communities. We enhance the life of our neighbors. It's better because we're here. We're salt. So he says, we are the salt of the earth. But not just the salt of the earth. He goes on and he says, you are also the light of the world. Now, the second metaphor describes the witness of the Christian as light. He says that Christians are the light of the world, a world which by implication is captured, surrounded in this thick darkness. And I think that this is important for us to camp out right here because you've heard this growing up in church if you've been around church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And sometimes it feels like our little light's just that little, and it doesn't shine very bright. But I think it's an important reminder for us to hear that light grows more important as darkness grows more prevalent. So if we live in a world that is continually running to ruin, decay, and corruption, we preserve it as best we can, and yet that darkness and brokenness of the world keeps increasing. Well, as the dark increases, the importance of the light does too. So your light, no matter how small you think it may be, shines bright in a dark culture and a dark world. As our world and culture grows darker, our light shines brighter. But I think even that phrase, our light, can maybe make us think about this differently than we should. See, specifically as light, as the light of the world, followers of Jesus are to reflect the light of Jesus into the darkness of the world. What am I saying? Well, how about this? Jesus bluntly says in John chapter 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. And all we can do is reflect that. Just think about this. The moon lights up our sky every night, especially a big full moon. It gives light to to everything. You can see everything in the light of that full moon. But scientifically, we know that the moon itself has no power, no capacity to create light. All the moon does is reflect the light created by the sun and other stars. In the same way, we as disciples of Jesus reflect the light of Jesus through our attitudes, our actions, and our conversations. This is big. It's not that we create the light. You're not so good that everybody sees you shining. But as a follower of Jesus, we reflect his light. And we reflect his light again through three main ways, our attitudes, our actions, and our behaviors. Well, what does this look like? How do we show Jesus through our attitudes? Or specifically, what attitudes can we use to reflect the light of Jesus? How about this? Kindness. Kindness. What do we mean about showing kindness in our work? How about this? Don't be a jerk. Simple, right? What else? Humility. We show and reflect the light of Jesus when we are humble like Jesus. What's a good example of this? Don't be a jerk. When we exhibit patience in our work, whether it's at home or at the job, we reflect the light of Jesus. What's a good story about showing patience? How about this? When you're at a drive-thru and it's taking a little while, don't be a jerk. 
gentleness, peaceableness. That's an attitude that we can have where we're not quick to fight, we're not quick to gripe, but we are meek and mild like Jesus, otherwise known as don't be a jerk. And maybe the most defining characteristic of all of us as Christians that when we show it, we reflect the light of Jesus, it's love. Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples when you love one another. And what does that look like? Stop me if you've heard this before, but it's when we don't be a jerk. I know that it sounds simple and it sounds easy and these probably sound familiar, but that's because they should sound familiar. These and others are the fruit of the Holy Spirit living and working through our life. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. And by the way, these are not the fruits of the Spirit. You don't pick and choose which of these attitudes to have. This is the fruit singular of the Spirit. The Christian living after Jesus, reflecting his light to the world, will exhibit all of these. We show Jesus, we reflect his light through our attitudes, but also through our actions. What actions? How about this? Honesty. Honesty. And I mean that, you know, not just in the big picture sense, but even in the little things. And you know what I'm talking about, the little things in your life, at your work, where you can fudge the truth, fudge the numbers just a little bit, uh, and you'll come out a little bit ahead. But I'm talking about we can reflect the light of Jesus when we live and work honestly, even when those things hurt us. Generosity. I believe that the Christian reflects the light of Jesus well when we work open-handed. We work open-handed with our resources, with our time, with our knowledge, whatever. What does this look like? Being the first to help a coworker. When you see somebody you work with struggling, go help them. Be like Jesus. Reflect his light in your actions. Integrity. We should be people who keep our word, effort, We should not rob our company by being lazy, and we should not rob our employees by being greedy. And I think something that's close to my heart is the action of excellence. I believe that we reflect the light of Christ when we work with excellence. We're to work as if we're working for God. Whether you're at Walmart or the church, you work as if you're working for God because you are. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, that whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So whatever your job, like Adrian said, you can be a missionary or a mechanic, you can be a pastor or a plumber, but you are working for the Lord. And as we work for the Lord, we reflect his light in a dark world. And then we also reflect his light through our conversations. Now, to me, this is huge. When I say conversations, I mean, first and foremost, the way that we talk about Jesus. You see, when we work distinctly with these attitudes, with these actions, I absolutely believe that people are going to take notice. People are going to realize there's something different about the way that you work. You have a different attitude. You have a different level. You're working differently. And when they recognize that, we need to be quick to tell them why we're doing what we're doing. And I think that there's there's a very 
a very thin line here that we've got to be careful. We got to remember that we aren't the hero. Jesus is. We're not in the spotlight. We are the light reflecting the light of Jesus and we point it all back to him. See, as we work, as we work well, as we work for the good of our communities and our neighbors, as we work for others, we're going to have the opportunity to have conversations about Jesus. And when those opportunities come, we can't hesitate. The way we talk about him is important, but so is the way that we talk about others. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to lean in here, and I'm going to step on your toes maybe a little bit because I love you and because I love the gospel and I love us reaching lost people. Here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to hear me say. The way that you talk about others to others can quickly invalidate everything else that you've done before. No matter the attitudes that you try to work with, no matter the actions that you uh, live out every single day, when you talk negatively about your boss, about your customers, about your coworkers, or maybe just even about your spouse, you would be surprised how quickly it invalidates everything else that you've tried to do. The way that you talk about others to others matters. So we, as the light of the world, don't create a light in and of ourselves, but we reflect the light of Jesus, and we do it through our attitudes, through our actions, and through our conversation. And here's the thing, right? Everything that we just listed, and granted, we went quickly, but all of those attitudes, all of those actions, the way we talk about Jesus and the way we talk about others, these are simply normal practices of the kingdom of God. There's nothing extraordinary about these. This is just what the Christian life should look like. It's nothing special, nothing amazing, nothing out of the ordinary in the kingdom. But that's the issue, isn't it? We're not in that kingdom yet. We're still living here in this one. And so what that means is that when kingdom people live out these kingdom practices, we create a kingdom witness. We are ambassadors of that kingdom, and when we live under its principles, when its people talk about their king, it creates a kingdom witness, and I love that. Now you say, Chip, that, that's hard. I, I don't know that I can make that difference by myself. Like, Chip, I try to do those things. I really do, but I just can't seem to do them enough. Well, here's the thing. It can't just be you. That's why this is a series that we're talking about with the church as a whole. You and I just aren't sitting down having coffee. There's power when the community of believers live this out. Matter of fact, you may have noticed that when Jesus talks about light, he doesn't talk about this little light of mine. He talks about a city that's set on a hill. And that image, that city set on the hill, is not just one individual light. It is many individual lights that come together for a corporate effect of combined lights. And so here's why I think this is so important. When a community of believers starts living and working this way in the broader community, it can't be ignored. You may work this way, and you may get to have a few conversations, and those are great. We love those. But if we're being honest, some people say, well, they're just different. Well, what happens when it's not just you? What happens when it's a community 
of people who claim to know Jesus and follow Him and live by His example, people who claim to have been transformed by His sacrifice and have His very Spirit live within them. What happens when our community of believers starts living this way in the community of the world? I believe that it can't be ignored. Now, this is where a quote from another author, D.A. Carson, comes in and knocks our socks off. Because to us, that idea of the community of believers living, acting, working differently to make Jesus non-ignorable, that sounds new, that sounds different, that sounds like something we should try. But what Carson says is, it's not new, it's something old that we've lost. This is what he says. For a variety of reasons, Christian has lost this vision of witness and are slow to return to it. But in better days in other lands, the faithful and divinely empowered proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ so transformed men that they in turn became the light of the world. Prison reform, medical care, trade unions, control of a perverted and perverting liquor trade, abolition of slavery, abolition of child labor, establishment of orphans, reform of the penal code. In all these areas, followers of Jesus spearheaded the drive for righteousness. The darkness was alleviated. And then Carson says this, and this I submit has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned with personal prestige and more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. Wow. This isn't a new plan. This is the old plan that we've forgotten. To reach people for Christ, we don't have to go on mission trips overseas. We don't go have to knock on their door on a Tuesday night and ask them if they know where they're going to spend eternity. But to reach a lost world for Christ, we have to live as kingdom people Monday through Sunday. We've got to carry this into our work. And listen, church, this is my hope for us. My hope is not that we have these drive-by evangelism conversations that see 5,000 people come to know Christ. My hope is that we would begin to live differently in such a way that we enhance our communities, that we preserve the good in our communities, that we reflect the light of Jesus, and we do that in our work, that it makes Jesus non-ignorable in our communities. That's my hope. That when we realize this mission isn't an hour on Sunday morning, but it is to infiltrate every part of our life, I believe then we can see God do something amazing. But here's the thing. That we has to start with me. The danger in a series like this and a message like this is that you hear it and think that it applies to everybody else. But we will never do it until it hits the me first. So let me ask you a couple of questions as we kind of wind down this series. Are you, not your husband or wife, not your son or daughter, not your friends, not the person you're thinking of, are you willing to embrace the call to more? Are you willing to look for ways in your work, whether at your job, at home, your hobby, school, whatever, are you willing to look for ways that you can, through your work, join God in His work? 
I hope the answer is yes. And to be honest, I would imagine your answer is yes. You're the one taking time out of your Sunday morning to listen to somebody teach the scriptures. So I have a feeling your answer is yes. Let me follow that up with a second question. So how will you embrace that call to more? See, here's the thing. You may sit here on Sunday morning willing to embrace the call, but until you take time to think through, pray pray through, and plan through how you will uh, follow that call, then it's not going to matter. See, good intentions are not what determines the direction of your life. It is the steps you take that determine the direction of your life. Your good intentions on Sunday morning bring about no change on Monday until you know how you're going to do it differently. So begin to think, and maybe you already know. Maybe God's laid a burden on your heart, given you a specific person, a specific group of people, a specific project, just something at your work where you know, no, this is how I need to embrace that call. So let me ask you a third question. What's keeping you from embracing that call to more? What's keeping you from taking these good intentions, praying through, thinking through, planning through what to do, and then actually doing it? Is it fear that you'll be seen as different? Is it fear that you'll be taken advantage of? Is it fear that it won't matter? and that ultimately you'll miss out on something else. I don't know. But why hasn't it become a reality already? I think that's a good question for you to think about. And maybe, again, you're watching this and you're saying, Chip, there's nothing keeping me for it. I'm ready to go full speed tomorrow morning when I punch in the the clock. I'm going for it. That's great. But I would never let this question get get too far from your mind because two months from now, when you're back stuck just punching the pay clock, What's keeping you from embracing the call to more? Look, I know these are big questions, and I'm not looking for a simple answer from you on Sunday morning, but what I am telling you is that we have people right now who are willing to talk with you. You can message us on Facebook. You can talk in the chat. Whatever you need to do, we have people willing to talk to you. And more than that, myself, our pastors at every location would love to get with you this week and help talk through how you can join God in His work in the world through your work, wherever that is. And we would, as a church, love to help you identify God's call on your life, to affirm God's call on your life, and then to send you out and commission you for the mission. We would love to do that. So this morning, if God's speaking to you, if you know that this is a step you need to take, I would encourage you to reach out, let us know, because we want to come alongside of you. I believe that God has something great for your life, not just that you would be happy, healthy, and wealthy, but that God would use you to make an eternal difference for His kingdom. And there is no higher privilege than that. So I'm excited about what God's going to do in your life, and we would love to be a part of helping you figure it out. Let me pray for you. God, I'm thankful for the time that you've given us this morning to to sit and to talk about these things. God, the series and the stories that we've heard of people stepping into that call to more. And God, I pray now for the men, the women, the students who are watching this, God, whenever it is, maybe it's later on and they're watching this and they're feeling that call to something more in their work, their work at home, their work at their job, their work at their school, whatever. God, I pray that as they see the call, 
as they feel the call, that there would be nothing holding them back from embracing it and that you would give us opportunity as a church, as pastors, as friends, as mentors to come alongside, to affirm that call and to help commission them to go be a part of this kingdom mission. God, we're so excited about what you're gonna do and we are so thankful that you've given us the privilege to join you while you do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.